0: Hey there, podcast people. I'm Marius Masilar, and you're listening to a brand new Track sounds interview on the Soundcast. On with us today is Joris Deman, the award-winning composer for the Killzone series. Killzone 2 earned one of the highest scores that I've ever given to a review title, so it's especially exciting to have you with us today. Welcome to the Soundcast. Oh, thank you. So before we really delve into Killzone and the sequels and all of that music... I wanted to ask you if you could give us a, a quick run through of how you ended up where you are
1: today. I mean, is this what you wanted to be when you grow up? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, I've, I've always been surrounded by, by music. I come from quite a, a musical family. Uh, my dad um, was a teacher at the Royal Conservatory in, in Holland, in The Hague, uh, and is a, is a contemporary composer himself. And my mother was a, a harpsichord player, professional harpsichord player, who um, who did some very interesting Interesting stuff because she kind of instead of playing the more baroque type music, she would actually performed uh, modern music, so stuff by Ligeti and Bartok, and so that kind of stuff influenced me. But I wasn't quite sure whether I wanted to do um, music as a as a as a, as a living. Uh, my brother was also in music at the time, and he was um, a few years older than me, so his his path into music was uh, became you know a bit clearer sooner than, than mine and uh, for me it didn't really come until i actually uh, moved out i was when i was about 18 19 years old i moved out of the uh, the parental home and uh, i started branching out on my own and um, i I'd, I'd been doing music during my my teenage years uh, i played in a in a school orchestra and i played in some bands um and i was also very active on the uh, on the atari demo scene creating chip music for um yeah for different atari demos but i hadn't really considered it as a as a career and then one of my friends from the demo scene uh, started working for this games company and, um, in, in Holland. And he said, you know, we're, we're doing this game and it's very simple. It's for Philips CDI. It's one of those devices that most people probably never heard of anyway. I've never even heard of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically uh, Philips' Philips's version of, um, of CD-ROM. It was kind of the precursor to CD-ROM. It's basically standalone units that played CDs, uh, CD-ROM type system and um usually was kind of uh more used for um education and training and that sort of thing. And this this Dutch company basically thought it would be a really good idea to create some games for it as well. And so that's what we started working on. And it, it you know, the games got released, but of of course it didn't really do much. the, the machine never really took off and I think some of the chips got repurposed for washing machines and that sort of thing but it was for us it was a good training ground to um you know to, to learn how to create games and see a project through from start you know from start to end and um he said you know why don't you create some music for that so i did and um i had about 3 weeks to to write like i don't know 45 minutes of music and um and i thought well this is nice i mean people were paying me to do this and um at the same time i was kind of Struggling with the idea you know on one hand, I wanted to be a graphics artist, um, but i wasn 't very good at it okay and um, and this music thing kind of came to me a lot more naturally and then my dad said well why don 't you start studying it and, and see what you think and uh, I enrolled on a course of uh, sonology um, in The Hague at the conservatory, which is learning about psychoacoustics and how how sound works and how sounds are created, different types of synthesis that sort of thing. And um, I thought it was interesting, but really heavy on the maths. I, I was I wasn't really very good at mathematics, and uh, and so I thought, well, it's not really for me because they're showing all this cool stuff, but they're not actually doing anything with it. You know, what what is the point if if you've got all this great technology, but what are you creating with it? And I didn't. It was just conceptual. Yeah, exactly. And um, and so I realised I was more interested in, in in the composition side than the real technical side of it. And so I enrolled to a different course in, uh, in Utrecht, in uh, Utrecht Conservatory, um, in a course called Music and Technology. And uh, I did that for about six, seven months and then got another offer to do games music. And then I thought, well, I'll do that for a year or so, you know, get my, get my feet in and, and see how I like that. And then I'll go back and study. And, of course, that, that never happened.
0: Yeah, that never happened. And now look where you are. So how did you actually get involved with Gorilla in the first place? I mean, that was a, a bit of a jump. Did you Had you ever worked on something on the scale of Killzone before?
1: No, and um, and, and when we started out, Killzone wasn't even that big of a game. Um, I basically worked in London for three years uh, for, for different game companies and came back to Amsterdam because I was basically a bit homesick. And this new company was just setting up, and originally they weren't even called Guerrilla, they were called Lost Boys Games. Uh, And they just had three titles in development, and one of them was Killzone, which is called Marines at the time, which is basically just, you know, this space shooter, first-person shoot-em-up. And um, they had two other games in development as well, and at the time, we were just a very small company, and so they were shopping these three titles around, and Killzone, or Marines as it was called at the time, was the one that was picked up. And the other two then were kind of scrapped, and uh, and, and work on, on Killzone started in full. So it was kind of just lucky, really. Um, it could have been one of the other titles that could have, you know, become the major thing. But Killzone was the one that got picked, and um, it was actually me suggesting to the to the, the company director at the time, saying, you know, as we're presenting these games, wouldn't it be great to present it with a, a piece of classical, you know, orchestral music, uh, and record that live? Because at the time, you know, this is what time was it, 1998 or 1999, I think. Um, orchestral music for games wasn't yet that commonplace. I mean, some people had done it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as commonplace as it was today. And we thought, well, if we do that, it could make a really big impact. And that's kind of where the um, the original Helga's March was born.
0: Well, it did make a big impact. I know for me, that was probably the last thing I was expecting <laughs> from the score of Killzone. I mean, I I looked at the game and it seemed like it would be okay. Another generic shooter with, you know, more generic music. And then suddenly this magnificent orchestral work comes out of it that's sophisticated and memorable. And I just, I completely was not expecting it. So there was that element of surprise. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about the creative development of that approach? I mean, you know, you could have easily gone with a more, I guess, typical approach. But how did you really cement into that orchestral approach that actually ended up in the game?
1: Well, I, it's in a way, it's, it's, it's like you say, it's, it's, there's a certain expectation that comes with a game like that. And um, I, I, I personally like breaking expectations because otherwise you're just doing what everybody else is doing. And um, I think the best thing you can do as a, as a composer is, is play with those perceptions and, and those preconceived notions that people have and put them on the wrong footing because that will pique people's interest. If you, yeah, you could have done the typical, you know, kind of big... Brassy orchestra arrangement with lots of percussion, or the other option would have been you know, big guitars and you know, angry kind of industrial music. Um, but that that would have been kind of obvious. And and the other thing is, I was lucky that it has such a strong protagonist. You know, the the hell as, as characters are actually a lot stronger than uh the character that you play. You know, the whole ISA guys, uh, the first kills on had pretty strong defined characters, but but two and three. To a lesser degree, and it's actually really all about the Hellgast. You know, whenever you see promo art about it as well, it's all about the Hellgast. They're the real cool characters. Yeah. And um, and I thought, well, that there was a bit of history behind them as to where they came from, and uh, you know, the, the story that was established in the first kills and was all about how there were kind of these outcast characters that were on a different planet, or you know, were kind of um, ostracized to this planet that was very um, nasty to the kind of genetic makeup and that turned them around and then ended up kind of modifying them into this you know genetic mutant race which um, which became quite Nazi-like and that in itself is, is a pretty strong story that you can musically you can really do something with and I thought well if I look back at how the Nazis portrayed themselves there was something quite epic about that and quite dramatic and and you know, and and so I kind of figure, well, if these guys are kind of the the space you know equivalent of that sci-fi equivalent equivalent of Nazis, then I kind of should approach it in that way. And um, yeah, I just want to almost make them quite heroic um, because that will make them more scary in a way.
0: That's a good way of describing it. I think uh, there's there's a heroism there, but it's twisted slightly. It's it's menacing.
1: Well, I guess that's always the scary thing. That if you, the idea behind the theme was to make it heroic in a way that you could see that they would really believe in themselves, you know. And there's something quite scary, as you can see in the world today. There's something quite scary about people with particular ideas, especially if they're wrong ideas, but they have a really strong conviction. Um, that in itself can be quite scary. You think, you know, not only. Are they really, you know, is, is what they're thinking really bad? But they're actually, they're really, they really believe this shit, you know? <laughs> and, and so musically, if you, if you really give that kind of a grounding and, and, and really support that notion, then, uh, then that becomes quite scary uh, and quite relentless. And I think that was kind of the feeling I was going for, is, is that kind of relentless drive that I think a march usually has. And, and so, yeah, that, that made it, I think, extra scary.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's good that you had uh, a receptive group of developers as well that were actually supporting that approach because they could have easily vetoed it and said, well, no, 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 thank you, we want the, uh, you know, let's not risk it. But they took a chance, and I think it was a great move on their part
1: to allow you to do that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and what was really nice as well is that that was kind of the initial beginning is, is you know, the company director said, well, you know, we, I'm just going to give you a budget, which at the time wasn't the, wasn't a big budget to do that initial demo theme. He said, "If you can make it work for this budget, I don't care where you do it or how you do it. Just, just you know, create these themes. Because I ended up creating themes for all the three games that were in development, and the Halgas March was one of them. Um, and uh, and just make it work. And and I, I guess that was the thing is that people heard and kind of thought, wow, this is this is quite different to what we were expecting, but in a in a good way.' And and that's kind of been my attempt to do it at each version is to do something where there is something." Unexpected in the music, and and with the third one as well, it's uh, it's been interesting to to see on the internet that the the reception of the the new intro music for the main menu, which is quite a departure from the previous Helga's marches, um, has been so. I'm I'm really happy that it's been so well received because it was a real risk. I didn't even really tell Gorilla what I was planning to do on that one, (laughs) Um, and uh, I was when I was creating, I was thinking, oh oh God, I hope (laughs) I hope they're going to go for this because. It's not what they're it's not even what they're expecting in a way that was one thing when we get into
0: Kill Zone three. I'll ask you how you ended up on that path, but um just still with Kill Zone one, I think that was the the one title in the series where you also were partly responsible for sound design work as well. is that true
1: yeah, that's correct, yeah,
0: and what was that like? I mean, was it not spreading you too thin?
1: Uh, it was only really towards the end when I had to start creating the music and there was still some sound design left to be done that it, it became a bit perilous because. I just didn't have the time anymore. And uh and you ended up, you know, creating quite a few ambiences and some vehicle sounds for some of the levels. But at the beginning it was good because for me that's the big difference in between working in-house and um and being freelance as I am now, is that when you're when you're working in-house there's such a, a long development period that there is actually a fair bit of time to do that stuff because at the beginning you're not really doing much music yet because the levels aren't even there yet. Uh, and people are just, you know, inventing weapons and, and animations. And so there's a lot of time to work on the sound design. And then as the levels start to take shape, you know, and, and, you can, and some of the cut scenes and the storylines are, are beginning to emerge, then you can actually start working on the music. So at the time, I think it worked quite well. But it was, yeah, it was a little bit too busy towards the end. And there's actually uh, an interactive to the game's audio engine as well right? There is in the second one it wasn't in the first one, the first one was, was mainly the music uh, was accompanying the cutscenes because we had an issue technically that we couldn't really play music and ambiences and stream the level data from disc at the same time there was too much streaming going on so in the first game we couldn't support in-game music and, but in the second one we could And so yeah, there is, a, there is all interactive music system in there and how did that affect your actual writing process? Well, it affects it greatly because you've got to kind of compose in segments, and those segments got to fit together uh, in any combination, and that's quite tricky to do because you're writing a section of music, and then you're writing the next section of music, and you've got to figure out well does this fit together, and am I still in the in the right tonal structure, or you know how how's that all going to work? Has it got the right intensity? Can we switch quickly enough? And so it it took a took a bit of figuring out of, of you know what was the right balance between the right pattern length for each section, and uh, and switching so that it would accompany the action and kind of feel interactive. And uh, and what, what were the intensities going to be with the music? And um, I composed a few pieces, and I think probably the, the 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 later ones were more successful than the than the first ones because you you put them in and you see what works, what doesn't. And uh, and one of the things I found out during the developments uh, in, in kills and Two was that uh, what really works is that if you have in those segments themselves you have some dynamic development as well so it's not just you know if it's one intensity say we would divide the segments up into different intensities depending on what's happening on screen so we'd say three seconds of high intensity three seconds of medium and three seconds of low that would become very obvious because you would hear when it would switch to a lower segment and then to a higher segment and so one of the things that i figured out uh, during composing was that it would really help to have different dynamics in the sections themselves as well or maybe even even if it was a high intensity you know have a little break in there that it would suddenly break up the action and then continue again and uh, and you would find during the gameplay that as you're playing the game the music would, would, would play the segments and, and stop and start and, and have these different changes and it would somehow make it feel more interactive even though it wasn't necessarily linked to what was happening on screen just a mere suggestion of it.
0: Yeah it's clever it feels more like you're playing a movie that way.
1: Exactly. And there's a lot of things you can do that way, which unintentionally seem to coincide with something that's happening on screen at the right moment. And people might think, oh, that's really clever how they've you know made the music really interactive. But actually, it's just sheer fluke. It just happens to, to work in a lot of cases. And um, yeah, those are kind of the lucky accidents that you then get away with.
0: Okay, so besides the added interactive element going from the first to the second, how... I mean you you know you were coming onto this sequel you knew that you'd done something different for uh, than what people were expecting for the first one. How did you approach, you know, getting that same impact with
1: the sequel? What did you do to raise the bar? I think it, the, the main thing was really experience. I mean, on the first one, if I'm totally honest, I didn't know what I was doing half of the time because it was only the second time I was writing for a, a full symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. When I created the the initial Howgast march, it's actually The Helgos March itself is the first piece I ever wrote for a a large orchestra. And so when I did Kills on One and I wrote the rest of the music, uh, I was, for a large degree, still finding my feet, you know, thinking, OK, I've got to write, you know, 14 minutes of score. A, how the hell am I going to do this? Uh, Because I've only got a, a, you know, finite amount of time. And um, how do I score to picture properly? I'd done some scoring to picture before, but to do it with a full orchestra and to have all the rhythmic changes and metric changes and key changes at, at the right time and at the right moment was really a, a path of, of discovery for me. And so some pieces, when I hear them back, are, are way too busy for what's going on in the scene. And and, and so I, I guess the second one was more a realization of looking back on Kills on One and, and figuring out what worked and what didn't and uh, and, and, and try to establish more Significant themes like Killzone One is is quite a mishmash of of different themes, and there's almost too much stuff going on. uh... And with Killzone Two, I felt I was more getting into a, a routine of establishing themes and light motifs for particular characters, and uh, and working on that. So for me, that was the, probably the most significant change. It was a, more of an awareness of what worked and what didn't, and um, and and yeah, a bit more experience with orchestration as well, I guess. Well the second
0: one definitely sounds more unified. Uh, I didn't actually find the first score to be overly schizophrenic or anything like that, but it did have, you know, it was um, busy in terms of how much musical content there, there was in there, like how many ideas were floating around.
1: The other thing is, of course, is the orchestra that we worked with. Um, there's also something that happens, which which is someone allows you to work with an orchestra, and you go, "Great, I really get to show off my chops." And and that's the difficult thing is that you, for me, and that's been you know a learning process is to leave your musical ego at the door, because at the end of the day, it's not just about you and an orchestra; it's about you servicing a scene and servicing a concept. And um, and and that was the, in a way, so. Um, excited about working with an orchestra that you kind of think, well, I'll just throw everything in the kitchen sink at it and, and see what sticks. But it's also the orchestra. Um, on the second one, we recorded at Abbey Road with with London uh, players, um, all kind of very experienced session players from various orchestras, ranging from you know, the London Symphony Orchestra to the London Philharmonic, BBC Orchestra, etc. Whereas the first one was uh, recorded in Prague with with the Prague Philharmonic in a different studio, and, um, um, you know, they're still very good players, but there's just a different, I guess, a slightly different attitude than I found with the English players, which is, I very much got the impression with Prague, and, and I'm not saying that this is still the same, but at the time, that they'll play anything, you know? They'll, they'll just, you, you tell them what to play and they'll do it. Um, but it really is a session for them. And uh, whether it sounds great or whether it doesn't work, it doesn't really matter to them. You've asked them to play and, and they'll play that stuff and that was for me a big change in attitude that I saw with the London players is that there's a real tradition there and um... when, when certain sections wouldn't work or it wouldn't quite sound right and say we're not getting quite the, the thing I'm looking for you know I get one of the um... one of the key players one one uh... Stacy who's the also the fixer of the orchestra but he's also the um principal um... double bass player He would come in and say okay let's discuss what's not working Let, let's have a listen back and he would really sit with you and, and kind of figure out, okay, we got to do this, or we got to do that, and go back into the room, give the players a pep talk, and, and say, come on, we got to do it this way, and it would make a real difference to the playing because it's not just about them playing the stuff. They, you know, they they see every recording that that they do as their next calling card, um, and so there's a real drive to to create something um, that's not just about getting the session done, but that's really about you know showing off their musicianship and for me that was a, was a big difference.
0: And speaking of of showing off musicianship I'm, I'm thinking we're ready to dive into Kill Zone 3 here because it's uh yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind working on it. How are you how are you feeling now that it's all you know passed?
1: Yeah, well I mean I'm 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 only in the last month or so kind of getting my head around what's what's happened last year because it's been quite an eventful year. Um it's been quite a whirlwind. We had so much, so many up and downs last year and um, you know we started off the year with, with uh, you know some troubles as, as my wife's um, in my family there was a, a death which was, uh, which was difficult, her grandmother passed away uh, and then of course we had the up of the um, of first denomination of the Ivor Novello and then finding out that I actually won it which is absolutely insane and congratulations for that, by the way. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, and then, unfortunately, my uh, my mother suffered a heart attack, and um, which which you know put her in hospital for a few months, and then unfortunately she passed away. And just literally weeks after she passed away, I was back in uh, in England um, composing the score. You know, working on the orchestral portion of of Kills and Three. So. It was really up and down, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure some of that influenced the, um, the writing of Kills on Three as well, and especially the main menu theme. You know, I was, uh, was in a, in a, I guess, in, in, in some weird way, in a good frame of mind to write something that was very sad and, and lamentful in a way, um, and, and, you know, and an attempt to create something that was different from the halgus marches that have always graced the, um, the main menus before.
0: Well first of all our our sympathies for your loss and thank you. you know, congratulations on managing to pull through it and put out such an amazing score so shortly after. But speaking of that menu theme that's been getting such great responses from the public so far, I'm curious about that violin solo that is obviously the the centerpiece there. Was that something that came um I guess naturally while you were writing this menu theme did that just happen or was it something that you had planned ahead of time you know taking it in in this uh I don't want to say more somber direction but but in a different direction from the previous two scores how did that come about
1: Uh well two ways really uh the, the first thing was that um during all the time that I was writing the uh, the in-game music because that section of the of the score was written first um I was very aware that the main menu music had to be something different. I just during all that time i hadn't figured out yet what it needed to be, but what I didn't know story wise was that uh this game was going to be quite different you know you've got kills on one where there's the invasion, and so it's all about um fighting back and, and and getting these guys off your planet. Then on the second one second kills on the story is very much about um almost mirroring um you know uh, common politics and 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 wars in in the sense that it was basically a big preemptive strike against the hellgast and basically saying we 're going to go over there and sort these guys out and then the third game is very much about uh, the idea that actually things have not gone at all as as, w- as was planned and and you 're on the you're on the defense again um you know a lot of, most of the isa forces have been obliterated um the halgosts are back in power but at the same time the halgosts on their planet are, are warring between themselves because fusari uh, the main pr- protagonist from the previous two uh, games is, is dead um and so there was this very strong feeling that i needed to create something that instead of being all triumphant and heroic I needed to reflect the, the position that these guys were in which was they're in a really bad position, you know, they can't get off this planet, they're being hunted down and killed for the most part um, and it's quite a desperate situation but at the same time there needs to be a, a sense of hope and um, and so I figured, well, what I can do here is, is basically create a theme that has two parts and the first part is the lamentful part, which is um, you know basically saying, oh, you know, we're really in deep trouble and we might not make it and then the second part is about no, we will make it, um, but it's going to be it's going to be difficult. And um, and I was also very aware that I couldn't do another Helgos march. You know, I had done two, and I think for me the one in kills and Two um, is, is my preferred version because it's almost like a version two of the Helgos march where I kind of got to do all the bits that I didn't get to do in the first one. if I'm doing a third game and it's going to be another Helga's March, next to the fact that contextually it doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't know if I, just, if I can do another one. I don't know if I can improve on what I did with, you know, with, with Kills on 2, uh, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So that's kind of how the theme came to existence. And then I was toying around with some ideas as to what theme I would use, because there is a, a kind of a, a general ISA theme. That I wanted to get in there, which is the second part of the of the theme, and in the, and in the first part, what it basically is is the, is um, there's a track which usually opens the game. It's the, it's the it's the the music or the opening chords that are used for um, the intro sequences, and those intro sequences I always call the Birth of War, and um, they're a particular set of chords. And so, the violin theme is actually lays on top of the second part of Birth of War the second few chords that come quite quickly after the intro. And I kind of wanted to build on that. And, uh, and, and the violin was just something, uh, obviously not being in the, in the cheeriest of moods, was something that came quite naturally um, to create something that was so lamentful, but still had a kind of an, an ISA feel to it. So that's kind of how it came about, really.
0: Yeah, that sense of, not really tragedy, but more gravity than the previous two games is definitely there. And it was, uh, you know, obviously I haven't played the game. It's not out. Um, So for me, not knowing the story, I was not at all prepared for that. Um, It felt almost like listening to the first score in that it was once again a complete surprise. And of course, after the second one, I was wondering, okay, how how is he possibly going to raise the bar again? Um, (laughs) This is getting frustrating. How can you do this? But um, the third is just it's magnificent. It feels more um, sensitive. And I'm glad you mentioned themes, actually, because I was wanting to ask you what it feels like to revisit all of these well-established themes now that they're familiar with, uh, with your audience and with you. Do you feel like you can develop them in more sophisticated ways? Uh, and did you introduce any brand new ones beyond that violin theme in the third
1: game? Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice to revisit them. It's, I guess, the difficulty sometimes is that you, um, you want to try and keep them original, And that can sometimes be difficult if a theme has been established to a certain degree. is how can you make variations on them without going too far away from the established theme, but at the same time do something that doesn't sound like you're just doing the same theme over and over again. Uh, And it it really made me appreciate uh, how difficult it must have been for someone like John Williams doing the new three Star Wars films, uh, which which music, by the way, I I admire to a a great degree. And happy birthday to him because we're recording on the 8th. It's his birthday. Oh wow, fantastic! I didn't even know it was his birthday today. <laughs> um, now his, his his stuff is is phenomenal, and um, and and so yeah, I, I could kind of appreciate his um, you know how difficult it must be to to reestablish some of those themes and and, and try to either improve on them or or, or you know make variations on them. Uh, it was it was reasonably tricky, but at the same time, it was nice to 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 go back to them and, and know that those themes are established so that you can build on them. And uh, and probably modifying them a bit more than you were able to previously, because obviously you're aware of the fact that the public knows them, um, and so it's a bit easier to modify them. Um, and at the same time, there were a few new themes established. Not a whole lot. It was basically um, two themes um, for the t- the two new pro- uh, protagonists, um, Orlok and and, Gen- and Style. Sorry, General Orlok and uh, and I, th- I don't know what. Styles prefixes, but um, he's kind of this big industrialist character, and uh, those two are kind of fighting it out over who's going to gain the upper hand when it comes to controlling Halgan, and um, and so I had to kind of create themes for them and uh, and have to have those return when um, when they kind of go at it because it starts off in a more scheming way, but during the game they kind of get a lot more vicious towards each other, and so. Yeah, it was it was interesting to create a a theme for them. Um and I hope that it, you know it returns often enough so that people will recognize which theme belongs to what character. Um, but that was definitely another yeah, another challenge.
0: It sounds good the way it came out. I know that I've I've gone through especially the cinematic music several times. It feels good hearing the themes that I'm familiar with or hearing fragments, but hearing it developed further. Um I you know, I appreciated that it wasn't just verbatim quotations from from the previous scores especially because now these themes are stuck in my head forever I know them I love them so having them manipulated further without deviating too far from them uh, I think you I think you hit that balance very very nicely thank you now we like to get behind the scenes a little bit here so we keep talking about in-game and cinematic music. I was hoping you could uh, walk us through quickly how one of each gets put together, because obviously uh, very different contexts. Um, you've spoken a little bit about how the in-game music gets put together, but um, how you know when when there's a cinematic cue, are you essentially scoring to picture, or are you writing music before there's an actual cinematic to look at? How does that how does that happen?
1: Well, it, it, it kind of depends. In general, I try to get a script before I even start because sometimes they can really help in in thinking about it. Because sometimes certain ideas develop over time. I'm not someone who I'm, I'm not always great at conjuring up a theme straight away. Sometimes it helps to kind of get the story in your head, even though you might have not seen anything yet. Just to kind of think about the characters and and you know, over time, some themes might kind of just pop into my head about what it would be uh... on this game unfortunately because there was so little time towards the end to 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 write the music i pretty much had to go with the scenes that i had and I wasn't actually that aware of the story so i kind of discovered the story through through the cut scenes and so i would get uh... what they call it a playblast or an animatic which is a very early version of the um, uh... Of, of that particular cutscene Um and it would really be either would just be hand animated so um, it, it could either be a, a moving storyboard, or it would be characters, but all the characters would look the same, and it would be untextured, so everything would be kind of in, in black and white. Um, and then these characters, you know, because they weren't motion captured or animated yet, um, if they were talking, they'd basically just bobbing their heads, <laughs> which looked very funny. And because they weren't animated yet, they would just have that typical um, pose, you know, with the arms spread out and the feet together. And if you know almost almost south park style if they're walking around uh which be you know <laughs> be quite comedy to see um and then yeah basically just put time code to it and and, and start kind of figuring out some ideas so figure out what are the important sections in the scene so if it's a, if it's if it's a battle I might I might for instance hit out some of the uh, hits in the in the piece and put markers on them and figure out a tempo that would fit those markers so that I can hit you know a, a particular sequence exactly when the hit occurs on screen or if it's a talking scene you are trying to establish the mood and say okay when's the mood changing they're talking about something and obviously at some point one character going to say something that the other character doesn't like or there's going to be a twist in the story and so you, you're basically trying to uh, mark out sections that have these mood changes so you know when the music needs to change the mood for example it can be that the character is saying one thing but you know because you've seen the other cutscenes that actually what he means is something completely different or he's not being truthful. So you're scoring to the subtext in there. Exactly. And uh, for me those are the important bits, especially in the game because sometimes the acting can be quite over the top. And, um, and, and you to me at least you need some of the music to, to add a bit of subtlety in there so that um, yeah, you can feel the subtext without uh, you know, people necessarily realizing that that's what's happening. Um and, and that's kind of how it starts out. And then once I've figured out the beats and, and the hits and stuff, um I just start sketching with the piano. And I'm an absolutely terrible piano player. <laughs> so I'm just kind of yeah, clunking away on the piano and, and just hitting some chords here and there. Um my piano sketches sound absolutely horrific. But once I kind of got a framework knowing okay, this theme's gonna go there and that theme's gonna go there, then you've got a rough idea of what the pacing of the scene is and how how the music's gonna fit in. And once that's established I start filling it in with instruments. So I'll probably start with strings first and then adding brass and figuring out how much you know, how much how densely does this need to be orchestrated. Is it, is it big or is it more subtle in which case you hold back on some of the orchestration.
0: And does this initial writing happen on paper or do you do it straight into the sequencer?
1: I do it straight into the sequencer because to be honest I'm not a great reader of music. Um, a lot of the stuff that I do, I mean, half of the time I don't even know what I'm writing, uh, you know, theory-wise. I, I don't know what, what the chords are that I'm writing. I have absolutely no idea. I know what works in terms of how how instruments fit together and how orchestration works in terms of doubling instruments and that sort of thing. But if you'd ask me, the, you know, the chord of a particular section, um, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah, Fair enough. I mean, I sort of the same way with it, so I'm just uh, it's always interesting to hear who works on paper and who works um, in the sequ... I mean, obviously in the sequencer it makes more sense uh, especially if you have to deliver MIDI mock-ups because it saves you time too
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is, is on, on this one, there wasn't really that much time to send the MIDI mock-ups, I pretty much just had to write it and thankfully I've, I've kind of developed a, a shorthand with Guerrilla is that I think they trust me enough now to kind of know, well, just give it Give it to Joe and he'll 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 do something with it. Um, there wasn't that thing that I've had previously where they really want to hear stuff and and say you know g- critique it or say this needs to be different. There was just that here it is. This is what you need to do. You've got so many weeks to do it uh, and just get it done. And um, and, and I'm quite thankful and quite grateful that they trust me enough now to kind of do that stuff because obviously coming back to the main menu music as well, that, that was a bit of a risk and, and I remember the first time they heard it, um, they kind of thought, oh, this wasn't quite what we were expecting. And, um, but seeing the reactions of, of people online and actually putting it in the game and, and kind of realizing actually this does fit the vibe of the game very well and it really does do this thing of people turn on the game and kinda of go, oh wow, this is a 1st person shooter but this is probably the last thing I was expecting. That, in a way, I think, as a composer, is, a, is is always a nice is a nice thing to hear.
0: Well, I'm very sure you're going to get more reactions like that when the uh, when the game is released. I mean, I've been looking at YouTube comments and things like that of uh, where the title theme has gone up, and it's uh, it's pretty overwhelming how positively people have reacted. Even though, like you said, it's it's not what you would have expected.
1: No, and I, I guess the thing is that there's so many first-person shooters out at the moment um, that I think it's it's almost nice to do something different in that way because. I've heard a lot of main menu titles, and and they usually do the thing that would be kind of the first thing that you would think of doing, which is you, you want to impress people, and you want to set them up for a battle, and you want to you know, it's kind of what I wanted to do with the second one as well, if you really want to get people in the mode for it. But I think because the story is is quite different on this one, um, it, it, I guess it's kind of a good idea just to to twist people's perceptions a little bit. So
0: yeah, for sure. Now that you've become more familiar with writing for an orchestra and you know working with these very very good musicians, I'm wondering if you ever considered doing a uh, concert suite of the you know major musical material in in Killzone.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if uh, some of the work has actually been performed by um, by by orchestras, um, there's a, a concert in Sweden which basically plays a lot of game music, and they do it in a very interesting way because you've got the I know there's some concerts done in in, in the states as well um, with I think it's play, isn't it? And um, and uh, video games live, and um, and I've seen video games live, and and even though I like that approach because they appeal to uh, to a very young and, and particular crowd, what's what's interesting about the the concerts in um, in Sweden? They're, they're called Score and Joystick. Uh, there are actually two two concerts um they um, they really approach it from a from a concert using point of view so they really want to get everybody involved with that and and so they don't they don't put on any any light shows or any visuals it's really it's it's just a a concert and um and and they play lots of stuff you know they play some stuff from gary siman from from bioshock um final fantasy uh, they do some suites of some of the older stuff um and it's really nice because you're you're forcing your audience to really just listen to the music, not being you know, not be distracted by visuals and basically say, no, this is this music is good enough to stand on its own and to be appreciated, this concert music, without needing all the other, you know, bells and whistles. And um and I think it's really nice. And so they've played pretty much every year they've played some of the Kills on music like the Helga's March and, and they played some Kills on Two stuff. And I'm actually talking to them to um to do some of the Kills on three stuff in a in a sweet form as well. So, um, and I guess the, the other thing is, is to try and get it out of Sweden, make it more worldwide, which would be a really interesting thing to do.
0: That was what I was going to say. I mean, it's, you know, it's great if it's being performed there, but there are fans all over the world who would, I think, be very much, uh, excited to, to be able to go to a concert like that. And I know in my case, I went to, uh, I've seen play and video games live. And one of the things that I was bothered by was exactly what you were talking about. They were essentially presenting the music in the same context as people had already seen it as you know something that needs to be accompanied by visuals in order to have merit and I thought well if you're putting it on a concert stage why not let it be a concert why not let it be about the music Um, but again different audience like you were saying
1: yeah and I think I mean I hope it, it can get to a point where they are able to do it that way i mean I completely understand why they do it like that. It's because the the you know they want to appeal to a particular crowd and especially when you're starting up a concert like that, you know the more established audiences that are more used to a to a classical repertoire, there's still very much the perception that oh it's not proper music you know it's even even if you look at film music, which by now should be pretty established and it's got some amazing talent in there you even see with, with those type of concerts is that it's still not as widely spread as you would want it to be. I mean, I, you know, I'd love to go to a, a film music concert and I recently went to one uh, in London um, where there were, you know, some stuff played by John Powell, Harry Braxton Williams it was, a, it was a benefit concert. Um, but it's still rare, it's not happening as often as you, as you would want it to and unfortunately um, game music is even, you know, a worse rap in, in that regard than, than you know, film music.
0: Yeah, that's true. Hopefully in future years that changes, but for now, you're right. Can we expect a soundtrack release beyond the download that comes with, I believe, the collector's edition of the game?
1: Um, I sincerely hope so. I mean, I know that it's um, it's something that's being considered. Um, at the end of the day, it's up to Sony how they decide to uh, to release the soundtrack. Um, but yeah, we've, we've very much spoken to them about it and, and said, you know, it would be great if we... If we could get it released in a like a physical, as, as a physical soundtrack or an iTunes download at least, so it's it's available for more people just outside of the the PSN network. So I don't know anything about it yet in terms of how they what what their plans are, but uh, it's definitely being discussed with them. And uh, at the moment, we just have to wait and see. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I hope we don't have to wait as long as we did for the other two because that was. You know, everyone was all excited about the music, and then months and months and months of considering. And
1: I know, and and yeah, it's it's. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely trying to push them a little bit more this time around. It's um, it's it's fortunate. That at the end of the day, it's not up to me because they they kind of own the music, so they can do with it as they want. But uh...
0: yeah, of course, it's not your fault. Just uh, you know, we're we're fans out here. We want to hear it. So
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll definitely uh, push them a little bit more. <laughs> So tell us, uh, moving forward, what you're working
0: on now. I mean, you're you're done with Killzone for now. So what's on your plate?
1: Well, I'm, I'm I've been pitching uh, and, and working on some commercial work, uh, just you know, television commercials, and uh, I'm also working on uh, a very interesting um, animation piece, which is going to be released later this year. It's a, it's a production by um, uh, an outfit called Tokyo Plastic. Uh, it's a director duo who uh, normally also do a lot of commercial work, but they also uh, work on these um, uh, separate animation pieces uh, that have won awards on, on festivals. And, uh, and it's a very interesting uh, piece because it's, uh, it's seven minutes long. It's um, a hybrid of um, traditional animation mixed with CG backgrounds, and it's a very, very cool story. So I'm, I'm doing the music and the sound design on that. Uh, and it 's being produced by uh, by open book and um yeah, so hopefully uh it, it will come out in the uh, in the animation circuit later this year
0: excellent i guess you 're uh, appreciating
1: the change of of genre or of pace. oh absolutely it's um it's well, it 's just also very nice to work on something that challenges you in a, in a completely different way i mean obviously the, the the orchestra stuff is is wonderful to work on, but when you 've done a, a massive project like that it's it 's quite interesting to uh to change from it and have something completely different. And this soundtrack will probably be a lot more um, ambient and, and, and yeah, very uh, very different from the kind of stuff that you're used to hearing from me.
0: Now, variety is always a good thing. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Joris, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's a great pleasure for all of us to get a glimpse behind the scenes of such a, a wonderful score as Killzone 3. Thank you very much. All you listeners out there, this is Marius Massilar thanking you for tuning in to another Soundcast interview. Keep enjoying your music and don't forget to visit us at Tracksounds.com for the latest news and reviews from the world of soundtracks.